The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Alright, good evening. Welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast preview show um, for Round 1 versus St Kilda. Um, my name's Forsha and uh, joining me as always are Fishing Rick and Maka. How are you guys? What's going on? You took my job. Again. This is ridiculous. I've been shunted. I've been boned. You've been boned. <laughs> I'll start over if you like and you can host again. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <sighs> Take the power away from him. How are you feeling? First time hosting. Yeah, a little bit nervous to be honest, but um, you know, I've got a, a very bad word document which is a rough running sheet, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but uh yeah, all right. Well, um, I guess we'll just uh, start off with a bit of the headlines before getting into the match, uh, which is against St Kilda at Adelaide Oval this Sunday. Um, so there's a bit of stuff going on this week. Um, I think probably the most noteworthy from a Port Adelaide sense, really, is probably the uh, injury to Chen Shaolang, who within one week was announced as a Chinese recruit for the team and then did an ACL and is out for action for six months, um, which is not really that great. What do you guys uh, think is that uh, a good thing I mean not a good thing obviously but is it uh, an advantage to him to be able to go out and do more of the, the club stuff rather than be working out how to play the game at a consistent level for the Magpies it's highly unfortunate isn't it I mean yeah. we announced this new recruit from China and he lasts probably three minutes on the training track and does his ACL I mean it's just you wouldn't read about it but as you said, I think it's probably it might end up being a bit of a silver lining in the fact that he's uh, probably now able to do a bit more sort of promotional stuff and, and work out on the uh, on the back end of football, I guess, and uh, and he's sort of learning about it. So it's probably going to be uh, a little bit of a silver lining there, but uh, obviously it would have been good to see him in action this year. Can we get another one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works like that, Rick. Oh, really? Is there a production line that we're getting? Well, I thought so. Is it maybe that's Koshy's big announcement that's coming up in the next month. But we're creating academy. A, yeah, we're creating a production line of Chinese footballers to feed into the Port Adelaide Football Club. But seriously, it's horrible. It's you don't want to wish injury on anybody. And uh, I was interested to see how he goes this year. Obviously, he's going to be coming from a low base and and working his way up. But uh, I guess yeah. Club's a good club. They'll look after him and uh, bigger and stronger, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say that, like, if you're going to... It's it's a really terrible injury to get, but in some ways it's going to be easier for him in that he only has that one aspect to do, or that has one less aspect to deal with, which is just sort of dealing with the club life because that's obviously a pretty different style of living on the whole. You know, that's why a lot of first-year players sort of go a bit missing during their first year away from home and all that sort of stuff. Um, he's a little bit older than most, but um, I think it'll probably be a good thing to get through that culture barrier first and then have a bit of um, a slower start than would probably be expected if he was expected to be playing games within a few weeks or have full-on training. So, um, yeah, very much a silver lining on that one. Probably as about as much as he could get for a horrible, horrible injury. Um, yep. All right. Um, next one I just wanted to bring up quickly. Uh, we had, during this week, a couple of little... Jabs back and forward. Um, the first one being, of course, um, Koshi being proclaimed uh, as the saviour of Port Adelaide, and a little bit of a story about uh, how Port Adelaide nearly went under and became something like the Southern Power with some games in the Northern Territory and all that sort of thing. And Koshi was made to look like a bit of a saviour, which I think that most people would probably agree he kind of was. Um, followed fairly quickly within a couple of days by an article by Graham Corns saying that Port Adelaide are ungrateful for how much the SANFL bailed them out. I just wondered if you guys had any thoughts on that. I think there's no doubt that David Koch saved Port Adelaide. I think, especially on the forum, we like to downplay it a little bit and kind of, um, you know, say, oh, no, he wasn't the sort of the major influence. But I don't think we would have got Renault or Energy Australia without Koch there. And, you know, I think his uh, his business smarts and his uh, his contacts have certainly helped us out no end. Um, as for Corns, I mean, I don't give a shit what Graham Corn says. And uh, I've got no doubt the club were pretty thankful uh, for the bailout if you want to call it that even though they got the money from the afl in the first place um whether we supporters need to be grateful for the sanfl well do we really i don't think we do no i don't think there's 
really any cause for us to be grateful for the AFL on that count. Um, it's really uh, like uh, being told that you have to be you know, grateful to your private health insurer for paying out on a claim when you probably put in four times as much as you get out for the most part. Um. I, I guess the thing that really annoyed me about his article was how he started it, the revelations this week that the SANFL put in $15 million. It's not a revelation. This has been known for like six years now. <laughs> it's not suddenly just come out this week. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in David Kosh, actually. I mean, you know, the club were on its knees and he's taken all the credit. And where's the other credit? I mean, where's my credit? I donated 100 bucks to the club and you know, no one's coming out and saying that I saved the club. And, you know, why does he have to be the egomaniac and get all the centre of attention? It's just outrageous. Sorry, that was a flippant comment over Kevin Foley. Um, saying that David should be... So you, you missed that bit, Portia. You know, Kevin, big Kev's come out and also followed it up with going, come on, it's not just David, there's a whole team there. And, um, you know, David Kosh has been awesome. You know, and I was always pro-Kosh because I thought he could do our profile, the world of good, and it'd be like Eddie Maguire has done for Collingwood. Uh, I probably underestimated his um, financial background, however, and... Um, yeah, he's been very, very in, inspirational as a leader for us members and the footy club as a, as a whole. And, and that comes down to he's got a strong vision and a strong passion to, to where he uh, wants to take us and, uh, and we follow. And that's the key. And obviously, I'm sure David, being the classy guy that he is, is going to come out and recognise all the contributors to the Port Adelaide Footy Club when he's given an opportunity uh, to speak about this further. And in relation to the SANFL, well, I was going to swear, but I won't swear seeing it's your first show um, hosting. Uh, who gives the stuff? Anyway. I'm going to shuffle us along here because I think we've all talked that one well enough. Um, and I just want to talk briefly or just sort of bring it up as a topic, uh, drug use in the AFL. So we had again in this last week with Al Hunter sort of hitting the media big time, uh, a former Essendon player that uh, was one of the... Essendon players, but uh, Essendon players that were injected with the drugs that haven't been identified, talking about his uh, issues with depression and so forth, uh, anxiety over what has possibly happened and still not being able to find out exactly what went in. Um, and then just a little bit before this uh, um, broadcast, we've had another bit of he uh, information from the Herald Sun who say that they've found 11 Collingwood players that have tested positive for illicit drugs over the off-season. You should see the parties at Macca's house. This is nothing. <laughs> uh, well, I talked to Eddie Maguire and he denied knowledge of this because uh, apparently um, they still don't get particularly good information over who's tested what on drug tests. And I guess really the question I wanted to ask is um, what's the AF what do you think about the AFL's position on how they're handling drugs on the whole? Like, Do you think they're putting anything in place? Or, I don't know, um, do you think there's any resolution that can be made, made in these areas? Or what do you sort of think about this whole thing? Because it seems to be something that isn't going away. Look, recreational drugs are rife in society. And you add a shitload of money for people with a shitload of time who are super popular and they're going to do these things. It's, it's been happening for years. Dale Lewis got sort of dragged over the coals, you know, what, 15 years ago now for coming out and saying that, you know, 75% of the AFL were on you know, but he cocaine or whatever. Mm. Um, and I guess in the end, it's probably proven that he's been true. Um, I think the, the system that the AFL's got in place is uh, fundamentally flawed in the fact that you can self-report and then you don't actually get a strike against you. So you can come out and say <laughs> every week, oh, look, I've just gone and done cocaine. And then you don't get a strike. I think it's fundamentally flawed and... Um, something that they should probably look at fixing if they're serious about fixing this sort of issue. I think they just need to be heavy-handed. It's um, I uh, have a, a pretty much a zero-drug mentality in, in my life and household, and uh, you know these guys are role models, and they, they sign up to that when they take on the job of being a AFL career footballer, and it. There's just no excuse. And, I mean, if the rumour's true that 11 of them have been busted, well, then there's surely question marks over Nathan Buckley's leadership because that's a cultural issue as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think what, what has also come out is that there's two other clubs which have um, tested more positive, so more than 11 people. 
at two other clubs. That's woeful. I mean, I guess that it all comes down to the recruitment of the players, doesn't it? If you recruit from a good background and, um, you know, a good... No, and it's not foolproof. I mean, because everyone can go off the rails, but I think it helps if you... uh, if you choose the right... Oh, I, don't, I don't think good background or good schooling has anything to yeah. do with it. Private school kids are the biggest bloody drug takers there are. Hey, I never said, I never said, pri- I never said private school kids, but I said having a look at the family environment that they're coming from and uh, you know what the principles of the family are overall, um, which I think is more and more prevalent now with the way that they recruit... I think, um, you know, I think that sort of stuff. It's got nothing to do with private schools at all. And I never said it's foolproof, but I think looking at those aspects can help sort of weed out the bad decision makers because uh, most of the time we are a product of our environment. I, I, I think I've got a slightly different take to you on this one, Rick, which is that I think that it's sort of symptomatic of the fact that drug codes haven't kept up with the society's behaviour. So if you want to talk about where people are getting the idea that drug taking is fun as young people, um, it's been cancelled for a few years now, but I remember every week, Spicks and Specs, they'd have some old rock guy and tell everyone he's an amazing guy and he'd make jokes about how he can't remember much of the 70s, 80s or 90s or whatever decade it was from. Um, it's Drug taking is absolutely everywhere and it doesn't really matter. You could be a fantastic parent, but kids are out there and they hear that drug taking is fun or they just do it because it seems like a good idea at the time. Um, and it's not necessarily a fact that they get um, addicted and most people that have some kind of drug uh, experiments don't necessarily have a, a lifelong problem. But um, absolutely, I agree with Macca that in this category of uh, wealth and um, free time are probably really likely to get it and I just sort of wonder if maybe it's time for the AFL to really lead um, as an organisation and sort of be saying, hey, in your off-season, if you're doing some illicit drugs, we're not going to test for those. Well, you know, what I, I thought well, you were say that they'll offer free pingers uh, <laughs> off in the off-season <laughs> and go your hardest because we're culturally open to anything because it's your free will and time uh i don't think it's so much saying that you're getting permission but that we don't believe this is necessarily going to affect the competition or we are trusting you to do the right thing it's not like that afl will go out there and say okay players and anyone that eats more than ten thousand kilojoules a day is going to be you know in trouble if they come back from the Christmas break overway. I mean that's about the same level for some of the stuff that these guys would be testing for, uh, in terms of uh, what they can be, um, how it can impact their f- football performance. Um, I don't know. I kind of think like outside of their official duties as players, what they get up to is it really something that we should be too concerned about if they're keeping it private? Yeah, I think in annual leave when they're on. Uh, yeah, annual leave, I don't think it's that much of an issue, to be honest. I think they should be able to do whatever they like. Um, in season, it's very much different, I think, because um, you're putting your, your your team, your teammates at risk and all that sort of stuff if something goes wrong. Um, but I think when you're on your off-season break, um, look, if they want to have a bit of fun, I don't have anything sort of inherently wrong with that. Check. Move on, next topic. Right. Otherwise, we'll be we'll be going on for next hours. One. Next one's a quick one, I just because I, I wanted to comment on it because I saw some really funny contrariness. Um, is that uh, just read on the AFL website that uh, applications are open to clubs until the end of April to apply for women's teams? And I know that in Katie's letter to the members this week, he said again that we're not going to go for an AFL team. But what was interesting about the AFL.com.au article was that they listed the parameters that clubs have to prove they're able to live up to. Um, So they are strength in governance and administration, business development, football operations, strategic relevance. Now, on that basis, you'd have to think Porter got a pretty good uh, bid on all four of those categories, but somehow um, criteria that require strength in governance and administration, Carlton and Adelaide are among the leading clubs, and I suspect, haven't looked back on that article now, but I suspect Collingwood are too, and you sort of have to wonder, okay... What's that strength in administration there that's going to get them a women's team? How serious are these parameters? Um, and I don't know. I just kind of feel like if we had wanted to, that door might have opened a little bit. It's because the AFL... Stephen Trigg, mate. The AFL have been on pingers 
and that's how they make their decision-making, Macca. <laughs> that's it. Stephen Trigg. Stephen Trigg. Strengthening governance and administration. I mean, that's just wonderful. Yeah, well, he's a strong administrator, Stephen. And, he, and in the off-season, he's dishing out pingers and brown paper bags because he's that job. All right, so let's get down to the meat and potatoes. Now it is time for the um, game uh, that we're going to be playing against St Kilda on Sunday at Adelaide Oval. Um, just quickly talk about uh, the last time we played. Um, that would have been in last year, uh, and we absolutely smashed St Kilda. Uh, 17 goals, 10-112, defeating St Kilda, 6 goals, 13-49. Um, we pulled ahead early and really just didn't see them again. Um, Chad Wingard, four goals. We had what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten players cracking the twenty possession mark, and then Robbie Gray with thirty-seven possessions. Um, it was in, possibly, I suppose, the most amazing thing was that Andrew Moore managed to crack twenty possessions in that lot, and uh, Sammy Cahoon, a few guys that aren't even playing in the top side this year. So uh, you look at um, that, and I just sort of I don't know anything about the game there that you sort of uh, you really worried about this game at all. Like, apart from the fact it's the first of the year, are you really worried about this opponent at this point? I'm worried. I'm worried that my wife threw my squeaky chair out today, Portia. That's a real concern. No, not really. But saying that, we got on top. We had a bad habit against St Kilda, which we had a lot last year. And even though we won convincingly, we got in front. Then we sort of got a little bit sloppy, allowed them to come back. And if they kick straight... It would have been a lot closer game than uh, than what the scoreboard actually shows. Mm, don't know. I actually thought that was probably our best four quarter performance from memory. I think the one thing to take out of that game last year was Ollie Wines doing his shoulder, which required the surgery. Finished his season. Um, but look, Porter won four on the trot, dating back to uh, 2012 against the Saints. And the last two years, we've seen big wins against them. The Saints have an average losing margin of 64 points at Adelaide Oval and have won just the one match in Adelaide since 2009. So coming across to South Australia hasn't really been a happy hunting ground for them. No. Um, all right, so just quickly go through the ins and outs. So we've um, got one very, very, very big in this week, and that would be for us, Charlie Dixon. Um, pretty exciting to see him at Adelaide Oval for the first time, I'd imagine. And uh, I think, well, not the first time. Yeah, no, no, it's not the first time. No, it is the first time. Um, and we'll, uh, I guess we've got big big hopes for Charlie in this game. Um, and I have to say, I don't know that his opposition are really well set up in terms of size and experience to really counter him. Um, the forward line for this game, we've got uh, Westhoff, Schultz, Robbie Gray, Wingard, Dixon and Need. And you'd have to really query, you know, how good is that? That's pretty, uh, seems pretty nice on paper at least. What are you guys' thoughts? Is there a better forward line in the AFL? If that if that performs, would you? What would be a better forward line than that? Probably Hawthorns. Yeah. Without Ruffhead. No, with with Ruffhead, I would think it would be better. Uh, without, probably not. But uh, probably Adelaide's as well. If we're being brutally honest, I would think Adelaide's forward line would still be better than that. <sighs> Jesus. Jeez, Mac. <laughs> I'm all about the big goals, man. No, look, it's uh, it's a mouth-watering forward line. I mean, Dixon, Schultz, Westhoff, that's as good as you're going to get in terms of a, a three-pronged toll forward line. Uh, Wingard is a superstar. We all know that. Robbie Gray, if he does play forward, he always kicks goals. And Jakey Need, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Jakey Need can do this year. I think the pressure might be on him a little bit. I think it's time for him to really stand up and and uh, and deliver a bit more consistently on that potential. Well, um, Jake Needs actually been named on the field. Um, we've got a seven-man bench, obviously, for the um, Sunday game. And, uh, I don't know. I, there's a couple of little queries there, but um, we've got um, Broadbent, Amon, Tumpus, White, Pittard, Young, and Archie. And uh, I guess of those, if you have to drop three, um, you, there's sort of three that seem kind of obvious, but maybe they're not. And I'm just wondering, do you think that uh, Jimmy Tumpus will actually play this week? Because I think he's probably one of the ones that will bounce out. It's 50-50, yeah. isn't it? I think uh, I think there's two obvious ones which fall out, and that's Amon and Young, um, and then it's really down between uh, Tumpus and White, really, in my opinion. I think uh, obviously Brody and uh, and Pittard are going to play, so I guess it's um, whether we want the speedster in White who really didn't have a good preseason at all, or maybe Jimmy Tumpus who had a better preseason but maybe doesn't have the pace, um, you know, to fulfil our sort of game style just yet, but. 
don't know. I would like to see Tumpus in there. I think he's deserved of a spot um, in round one. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Would our mate Arch be in question? I, I'd hope not. Uh, I mean, it's possible, but I think he adds um, an extra dimension to our team in terms of his height, his uh, clearance ability. Um, he had a really good preseason. I think um, you know he's going to allow players like uh, Robbie Gray to spend more time up forward and do some damage up there. Um, maybe even someone like Travis Boak and Ollie Wines as well. So I think he's now an important sort of um, bench player for us um, and that sort of second-string midfielder that we've been really screaming out for and that I guess we hoped um, Andrew Moore would be. Um, but now it's uh, time for the Archie, I think. I kind of think that um, what Archie did at the end of the season, just in not just in terms of playing well, but also the style of his play, sort of puts him in a similar category to what Stuart Jew was in which is that because he has some unique tools in his toolbox in terms of the things he can do, he's probably going to give it a bit more leeway than some other players that are a bit more vanilla might do. Um, and I certainly don't think we've seen anything at this point that would really justify dropping him, um, I wouldn't have thought, um, particularly not coming to the real stuff. Uh, I don't know. I think he's probably a bit of a lock myself. I, I reckon Tumpus will probably miss and probably, as you said, Amon and Young. Mm. I, I'm with you, Portia. I think uh, I think Jimmy might miss out. I think he, I don't think it will take him long to get in the side, mm. um, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, yeah, I've always been critical of Matt White, but I, I'd actually like to probably see him start. I think he's uh, done enough hard yards to get that opportunity first, and I, I do feel that Matt White is very uh, important to us with his uh, outside speed and run and carry, and I'm not sure that Jimmy provides that at this point in time. Yeah. I guess there's no real surprises in the squad this week. There's no sort of uh, players that have come out of the blue that are going to get a game. Um, and I guess looking at St Kilda's team, I guess you would say the same thing. There's no real surprises. Um, Jake Gresham, yeah. uh, pick 18 in last year's draft, he's going to debut, which is great for him. Uh, Lee Montagna plays his 250th game. Um, out of the bench, I would be expecting Ross, Dunstan and Sinclair um, to play. Uh, with the last spot probably between Acres if they want a mid or Lee if they want another toll. And looking at who they've named on the ground, I would expect them to go with uh, Tom Lee. Yeah, no, that's very reasonable. Um, I guess one of the really big uh, things about St Kilda in preparation for this game is obviously the fact that they only had two pre-season games and therefore their first side only had one uh, real match to in the lead-up to this. Uh, and they're playing away. You'd have to think that... Um, that combination of factors would probably impact their ability to perform on the day. Uh, do you think that that'll really show uh, in terms of fitness or durability perhaps on the field? Maybe not in terms of fitness because they would have done um, sort of like a game run through when they came back from uh, Queensland, I think it was, where it got rained out. But yeah, um, I guess the thing um, I took out of their pre-season games is how much they want to play through the corridor. Um, and they look through the middle to try and play that sort of port style as much as possible, but they really struggle with their skills, especially against Melbourne. They turned it over a lot. They actually won the midfield battle quite convincingly, but turned it over heaps and heaps. Um, if that's how they play on Sunday, it might get a bit ugly for them. So I think that's probably where they might have um, they might be missing that sort of extra game practice against a different team is trying to nut out those uh, those little uh, intricacies of their game plan. What about the uh, the one thing about our team that you guys didn't mention is the young Jared Polak on the wing coming from injury. And mm. we, I thought, got incorrectly accused, Macca, by a, a, a devoted listener of ours, Simon. I won't use your last name because it was just outrageous, but he thought that we neglected the recognition of Jared Polak. And I, I, I thought completely opposite, Macca. What do you think? I think we've always been a big fan of uh, of the old J-Pol, but um, maybe not. I don't know. I reckon it's great. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do on the weekend, um, how much game time he's going to get, what sort of role he plays. Um, I would expect he may not. Uh, he may only play sort of 60 or 70% of the game, um, which is probably fine. We, I guess we want to sort of still treat him with kid gloves a little bit um, and look after him. But, um, yeah, it's great to have him back and, we know just how much uh, he has to the side in terms of his skills and his uh, pinpoint passing and um, and his ability to break the lines and, and play direct. Yeah, I think that um, we're probably going to see a bit more of that where uh, 
fans have their individual favourites and they think they don't get enough attention and I think that's just a sign that we're becoming a good side again. Um, I've just been thinking about it and I think that we're probably a year away from having a side that's about as good as any of our AFL sides have been in the past on the whole, certainly in terms of the first 22. I reckon we've got uh, a depth around the ground in most positions apart from Ruck um, where I think that we're right up there. It's just a little bit more time to really peak, but I think we're certainly on the up, and we're, I reckon we're probably as good as, say, I don't know, a 2002 side. I'd say we're mm. pretty much up there for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. So um, on to the game. Yeah. Um, I guess the one thing I want to sort of bring up is, uh, is the midfield battle, because for me, uh, St Kilda's midfield is probably the best part of their side. Um, and we might find it a little bit harder this year to play against them as we have in the past. And it's probably a little bit interesting to note just how rampant uh, midfielders run against them over the last two years because they really have dominated. You look at Robbie Gray, he's been an absolute star. He picked up five Brownlow votes in the last two matches against the Saints. He kicked four goals in 2014 and had 37-1 and one last year. Hartlett is another one who starred, had 27 off the back flank last year. Um also had 36 touches against them in 2014 and got the three Brownlow votes. Uh, Chad Wingard's been the key playmaker. Um, he's averaged uh, 20 touches, seven marks and three goals and nearly in, uh, five inside 50s a game over the last three matches against them. Also picked up Brownlow votes in two. Uh, so it's interesting, interesting to note that even though St Kilda's midfield is probably the best part of their side, they do really struggle against ours. Yeah, um, I guess it's probably, as much as anything, it's probably a Ross Lyon hangover. I'm not saying that Tom uh, Richardson hasn't had an impact there, but just that it takes a while to... I guess it's just a natural conflict, a natural um, rock, paper, scissors, a source of arrangement uh, in how we match up. And I, I really think that the midfield's really pretty solid, but I think that we just edge them in terms of uh, explosive talent. I think that's what, really, what they've really struggled with. Um, yeah. do, we, uh, do we match them in the ruck? Well, it's going to be an interesting battle, Logie versus Hickey. I mean, yeah. I don't mind Hickey. I think he's, um, you know, he's a pretty good player. He can play up forward as well and take a grab. Um, he's definitely better around the ground than what uh, Lobie is. Um, but I would think Lobie would uh, would maybe uh, be a little bit better in terms of his actual ruck work against Hickey, and I would expect um, Lobie to win this battle. I'd probably call it a bit of a nil-all draw in a lot of respects. I don't think there'll be a clear winner in that battle. <laughs> So it would have been guys... interesting if, if Billy Longer was available and was playing for yeah. them and uh, and how Loby would go against the two of them. I think he might have struggled, but uh, with um... Hickey out there, I think uh, I think I would be disappointed if Loby doesn't um, um, match him with this one. Yeah. So what are you expecting from our centre clearances this year? I thought it was a bit of a weakness for us last year. Um, how are we going to improve there? Maturity of players and the team just being more used to each other. We had some pretty decent changes in our midfield set up last year, um, certainly after Ollie Wines got injured and then obviously having Sam Gray pop up and Archie pop up towards the end of the year. I mean, we've got a, a, a more versatile, uh, diverse midfield than we have had previously, so that helps as well. Um, and uh, just listening to the interview with uh, Jared Polek on Port Adelaide website uh, during the week, I mean, he's pretty stoked about the new rule about uh, protecting the player on the mark or the player with the, the ball after they've marked. Um, and maybe that might help us out. Not, maybe maybe even in the centre clearances, if we can get the boot to ball and just, uh, or someone gets the boot to ball and we can just sort of slow it up or get a bit of space from that. Mm. Hope so. I just thought we were worked out quite a bit last year and. I guess maybe that was exposed by the poor form of uh, Lobie, but uh, I'd really be hoping that we're uh, a little bit more competitive and uh, just stop the uh, the runaway from the pack situation that sort of happened far too often. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. I think uh, I think we've got more options in the side now. I think Ollie Wine's back. Hopefully, for the whole year is going to solve a lot of that. Polek mm-hmm. back for the whole year will solve a lot of that. Um, the emergence of Archie and certainly Sam Gray as well, who's uh, who's definitely underrated in terms of his clearance work. Um, you now we've got a lot of options, um, and we can sort of uh, pick and choose who we want to go in the middle um, a lot more than we have in previous years. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I guess with the reduced interchanges, we'll probably have to be a bit more picky and choosy in how we do that as well. Obviously, just managing that fitness load. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we hear about it's going to be interesting how the year plays out, certainly in regards to, you know, bigger bodies in midfield and whether someone like Ollie Wines is uh, either going to be under the pump a little bit or maybe actually um, perfectly in line, in which case he could have a dominating season. Quite, an, I think it'll be a... A, uh, a boom or bust situation for Ollie Wines in terms of his season-long fitness this year, I would imagine. Yeah. How do we see the defensive matchups playing to our advantage? <sighs> Look, I have to say I'm not really too worried about our forward line against their defence, but against our defence against their forward line, I guess this is where we'll really who, find who out. Who goes to rewalk? Probably Homsch, do you reckon? Or is that the is that the easy answer? I would pick Homsch first, just because he's got the legs to go with him. Yeah. I think um, he's. Uh, I guess. The, I guess the one thing about Nick Rewald is that he's really come out of the blocks really fast the last few years. Um, he's mm-hmm. a, a really good fast starter in the, at the start of the season, so I'd be expecting him to have a big game on the weekend. Um, I would like to see Homsch play on him. Um, I would think Carlisle would probably play on Bruce and what that means for Trengove and where we play him, I'm not sure. If Tom Lee plays, I guess he would play on him. Trengove can also go on Rewald. He's done a job on him before. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who actually goes on who um, and maybe even who goes on Jack Billings because he uh, he had a pretty good preseason and looks ready to explode in the AFL. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, look, I tend to agree that Homsch will get rewalt just because of the legs. Um, I don't know. I, I, we're just going to play rewalt and hopefully just cut off his supply. Is that how we're going to do it? And just hope he has to play further back rather than forward? Is that really our solution to that? Or what do you think? We'd assume that he'd be pushing high up the ground yeah. quite often, I would imagine, and then running back with the ball. That's mm-hmm. why I wouldn't. That's why I wouldn't mind Homsch running running with him and, and Jacko staying deep. Um, and, but I guess that sort of stops Homsch being that third man in, which he does so well also. I mean, I guess would if if Homsch isn't working, would Jonas be the second option or Trengo? Jonas would be a bit short, wouldn't he? I don't think Jonas has the pace to go with Rewalt, to be yeah, honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting matchup. Hopefully, we're not getting beaten there. So I'm with you, Porsche. Let's just cut off his supply, and uh, I guess I think we're going to probably clog the uh, defensive space quite a bit as well, um, going on what we Nathan Bassett's done so far this season. Mm. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that works out because St Kilda were really sort of pushing everybody out of their forward line in the preseason, mm. playing a bit of a pagan's paddock. So it'll be interesting to see how we set up against that. Um, and that could also always uh, play into Rewalt's advantage with his pace um, if someone other than Homsch is on him. I guess that if you're looking at, at our defence, the one weakness that, at least on paper, seems to be the case is that it's pretty slow um, for the most part. Like, we've got we've got a wet weather defence set up there, basically, if you look at it. We've got, what, Carlisle, Trengo, Jonas, um, Impey's the only one there with serious speed. Um, Pittard is fast, but I wouldn't have said that was his number one trait. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Brody has a bit of pace as well. Yeah, Brody's oh. got a bit, um, and he's been in good form this preseason. Well, he's been he oh, started yeah. the UL, so. No, but he has, doesn't have that much pace. He's not really a, what I would class as a pacey sort of guy. No, but I think, I think he's, he's pacey. Of... He's not quick, but he's pacey. Yeah, but he can call the, me the out. way he plays. Yep, you can call me out, Macker, because I did say it earlier on, and I'm shouting myself out here that. Uh, I didn't think Lord Ben would be in our starting 22 come round one. So there you go. I was wrong. Uh, well, you're not wrong yet. He hasn't been named yet. So. Well, that's true too. Yeah, that's true. He's on the bench, isn't he? Don't beat yourself up too early, Rick. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming I'm going to be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess with a slower, with a slower defence and the fact that well, I know we're relying on someone like Impey to really be a lot of that run back there. It's kind of, I don't know, I guess that's probably my main concern is that if we don't manage to stifle supply, um, then I think they've probably got a little bit of an edge just in terms of getting in front, um, depending think, on how the game's umpired. 
I don't think, I think I don't think St Kilda have a super quick forward line, mind you. I mean, Gresham's got good pace. Loney's reasonably quick. Um, that's probably about it, to be honest. Yeah. I think you got Ebert and Pollock on the wings is a bit of a telltale sign because um, Hinkley likes to to drop those sort of players back, and so I'd imagine they're you know after the centre bounce they're going to uh, if we don't have possession or whatever they they're going to probably push deeper into the defence, and then they'll be out again. With MP and Pittard, they'll be our run through the defensive line sort of players uh, trying to hit the forwards up the ground, I would imagine. Mm. I slowly but surely spat that out. I think Josh Bruce might be another one to keep an eye on. I'm not sure how many people realise that he actually kicked 50 goals last year. He's an absolute revelation up uh, after crossing up forward last year. and you know He's a good lead, a strong mark. I'd like to see Carlisle probably start on him, but... I guess any of uh, Homsch, Trengove, and probably also Jonas could do a job on him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I'm really comfortable where our defence is at, to be honest. I, I think, uh, you know, we've got a lot of flexibility there. Jackson gives us that taller, op- taller option as a defender, and Jonas, Carlisle, and Homsch are, are well-skilled now. I, I like Hamish Hartlett on the half-back flank. I think he fit in really well there last year. And we've got a plethora of uh, small defenders to give us that run and carry out of the back lines as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess my, like a, my, my concern is sort of what I said before, which is that I think that the defence that we've got, I like them, but I think that they won't really come into their own until, I don't know, mid-April, late-April, and that's when we'll really start seeing them to shine, in my view. I think that they're more exposable early on just because... Uh, I guess I, I feel I feel there's a slight speed edge, but also the fact that I think the clubs have got to spend the first part of the year working out how they're going to manage their players properly with the massively reduced rotations. And I think we'll probably see a lot of clubs overexert themselves early, and uh, we'll see how what impact that has on them. Yeah. Uh, so you think that's where we have the edge over St Kilda? Mm, well, I'm, I think the real edge we've got over St Kilda is the fact they've only played one pre-season match with their full team um, and they're travelling to Adelaide Oval and we're at home and uh, we've got a little bit more to, we've got a little bit to prove in terms of uh, actually trying to make the finals this year uh, I think that's probably our main edge really just the preparation we've had in comparison You know what our edge really is? What's that? We've got the Chad No one else has got the Chad I'm very excited to watch the Chad Meister I think he's going to be an awesome player this year and uh, that hair flicking gets me excited. I know it gets Macca excited because he wishes he had hair. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's going to be a great thing. Oh, could he be our first 60-goal small forward? Oh, no, he's not. He, wouldn't, he wouldn't be, though. Would he? Didn't Stuart Jew get that one? 60? Nah, no, no, he, he no, never got short. 60. Yeah, yeah I don't think he got 60. Didn't Brett Ebert get 60, though? Ooh. Yeah, he might have done. Yeah, but he was a tall forward, wasn't he? <laughs> well, actually, wasn't he our only forward? Uh, almost. Pretty much. He was a good key position player, pretty. But... He, was, he, would been, he would have been a fantastic key position player, there's no doubt. I, I, he he had kept Treaders right out of the side. Kept Treaders out of full forward. <laughs> So I guess just getting back to something we touched on earlier in the podcast, um, the big thing uh, really in this game, I suppose, is just what kind of impact do we think we can reasonably expect of Charlie Dixon in this match? Huge. I reckon uh, he's going to (laughs) be... I won't go there. I think he's going to be very good. Well, I mean, and it's, but it's also going to be determined by our midfield influence, isn't it? I mean, mm. if our midfield gets beaten and taken slow, taking getting the ball into the forward line, which I highly doubt, um, well, obviously the opportunities aren't going to be there. But I think just the way he's been playing, he just looks like the sort of guy that's going to, even in a struggling side, that will get two or three goals a game. Mm, yeah, but um, I don't know. Do you think that will come straight out of Schultz's pocket, perhaps? Like, do you think they'll work well together or do you think it'll just be a matter of short slowly fading away? I think in this particular game, I think we're going to see Dixon play out of the goal square because if you look at St Kilda's defence, it's not exactly all that tall. I mean, mm. Gilbert's 194, Fisher's 191, uh, Dempster's about 191 as well. They don't have a really tall defender in that side. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where 
Charlie should hopefully get a bit of an advantage if they're going to put it on his head. He should be able to outmark anybody that uh, St Kilda really throws at him. So I think he could have a day out. I think it's entirely possible he could kick sort of five or six goals. And um, I don't think that he should affect Shields because I'll be uh, spilling in my lunchbox if I see Jay Shields standing man-on-man wrestling for a mark because... That should only be Dixon really doing that, and I should. I'd be hoping that we see Jay just doing a lot of leading and doing a lot of high flies, big speckies, trying to bring the ball to ground. We've talked um, before a lot of times about um, how John Butcher has the ability to bring the ball to ground, and I think the one thing we've already seen with Charlie Dixon is he's much more willing to shove blokes about than John Butcher has proven to be. Mm. Do you think that actually becomes a viable strategy now? I actually like. I like the fact that um, Dixon's got that confidence to push the players around and use his physical advantage. Mm. Hopefully he doesn't take it too far because uh, we know how these uh, yellow maggots like to just blow the whistle if they get an opportunity, especially Matthew Nichols. But I really, really hope that we, uh, we see that physical presence and that pushing and, uh, and bringing the ball to a contest because, I mean, can you imagine if... If they can hit up Charlie 10 or 15 times a game and he brings the ball to ground and you've got Chad, Jake Need, Robbie Gray crumbing, it's going to be a pretty awesome forward line. Look, look, Dixon's got that sort of Treadray-esque aura about him where mm. you just want to kick it to him and you know he's just going to push someone push out of the way and take the crap. You know, he's, he's an absolute monster of a human. That's great. All right. Well, look, I'll just move on a little bit. Um, now, one of the things right. that I think we could probably be accused of having done in past podcasts in previous years is that we talk about players for five minutes every week. And so I've tried to sort of isolate five players that I think will be the most controversial uh, this season. And we'll just talk about them, hopefully, on maybe a five-week basis just to control it a little bit. Uh, and so I've picked out um, Jimmy Tumpus, Aaron Young, John Butcher, Cam O'Shea and Sammy Cahoon as I think the five players that will be the most controversial during the uh, running of the year in that they'll have big fans at SNFL level and big detractors and fans at AFL level. And so this week I just wanted to talk a little bit about Jimmy Tumpus. Um, Butch! Really... No, no, Butch is week three. So if you want to, if you want to hear about the Butch listeners, um, come back in week three uh, and we'll have a lot to talk, uh, probably say about him by then. How yeah. come there's a Jay Tumpus playing for Port Magpies tonight? Oh, is he? Well, I just brought up the SANFL game. Port Magpies 56, nor, uh, 36, Norwood 8, 53, and it's got their Jay Tumpus, six oh, kicks, eight hands, 14, 14 disposals. Well, there we go. Yeah, With K, Amon, and I don't mm-hmm. see... Oh, and A Young leading disposals. Oh, so well, Tumpus and Young leading disposals. So that was really the three we that were being out. So that's um, that makes should we, sense. Should we stop recording and um, and start again? Or <laughs> God no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there we go. Porsche and I were right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That goes back to my question: Is he going to get a game? No, he's not. <laughs> he's out. He, he, he will get a game, and I don't think it's just like take me. It. He's been boned from the side. So yes, boned. there you go. I, I guess the, really the question was more sort of taking a longer view as well. So at um, Melbourne, obviously, he had a bit of trouble fitting in. And I think the major criticism was that he just didn't get the ball enough. Um, how far are we through that Magpies game? Because that sounds about pretty much the same as his usual disposal half count time. in Melbourne. Half about time. half time. Okay, he's doing all right then. Um, is, yeah. do you, how many games would you reckon he's probably going to play this year? Do you reckon he'll get in and stay in? Or do you think it'll be sort of just a um, really working on his game season for, for um, Jimmy Tomfus? I think that's probably the thing for me which is pretty clear is he's only either just in or just out of the side. I think he's going to need to play on edge every week and prove himself and and stay on in the side. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, if he sort of comes in, has a bad game and straight out again and, you know, has that sort of season really. So he could play anywhere from, I don't even know. I think his, his, uh, his minimum might be six games. His maximum might be maybe 18. I guess that's uh, that's something he's just going to have to deal with. I think um, the, the big question about Jimmy is, does he do enough? I'm not sure he does. Um, I've liked what he's done in the preseason so far, but it's still a case of, well, you know, did he do anything that was really all that memorable? He's almost got a case of the Salapex like that, where he's that mm. sort of link man 
bowl where he just sort of gets in good position and uses it well, but um, does he impact the game as a whole? Yeah. Um, I'm sure he does. Uh, I think that's maybe a clear fault and something he has to work on. But look, for me, I think the good outweighs the bad with Jimmy. Um, I've got to say, I'm probably a little bit disappointed that he's not going to play on the weekend. Uh, I kind of feel like uh, at this stage in his career, there's probably not enough exceptional about his game to justify sort of bringing him in over, I guess, players that have been there a bit longer. So um, another guy on this list, Sammy Calhoun, like last time against St Kilda, he ripped it up um, effectively. You know, he got a lot of possession. And uh, you'd have to say that, like, the guys that we dropped apart from Tumpus, I mean, I'd rather have Amon in than Tumpus this week just for that extra pace. So... I don't know that he's been hard done by. I think that he really does need to find something uh, to get to a, a new level because I think we've improved a hell of a lot. Um, and so he's going to have to work a lot harder than he did at Melbourne to get a game. Yeah. I don't think he's been hard done by. I think he played probably two good games and one poor game in the mm-hmm. preseason. I think his poor game um, happened in the in the last game, so it probably came at the wrong time for him. Um, I still would have probably played him in front of Whitey, but... I guess Whitey adds that sort of run and carry that um, that Jimmy can't probably do at the moment. So. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I don't mind. I don't think he's been that standout um, that he's an automatic selection, so I don't mind him having to earn his stripes coming through the uh, the seconds. And I don't think we're disadvantaged by doing that either. So, no. yeah, I think it doesn't hurt sometimes to have to uh, earn your place in the side and, and do some grunt work. And I think you get more respect... Uh, from the players, especially the the fringe players that uh, you know are battling hard to get in that spot too. So, but I mean, him and Aaron Young, top of the uh, disposals is uh, is a good sign. Just move on to the Magpies game. Obviously, Rick's been giving us little updates. Um, we've had two. I don't know where you're getting the stats from, but we had two new guys, or I think three actually, but um, Cam Hewitt and Aidan Johnson obviously drafted this year, and uh, Tom Corcoran coming up from being in the academy last year from Port Districts. Um, have we had anything anything uh, in terms of uh, stats score for that, Rick? For what, sorry? Any stats on uh, the new guys, Hewitt, Johnson or Corcoran in the Magpies? I'm fine. Johnson's had two touches. Matthews all over Dougal Howard? What about Dougal? Two goals? Dougal looks like he's playing a bit of a game. He's uh, he's had about seven or eight touches and kicked a couple of goals. So that's uh, that's very exciting news. And I just want the Sid Masters to get on the AFL list because what a name is that? That is a pretty good name. It is, it is Sid, isn't it? It is Sydney Masters, yep. Yeah. He sounds, like a, sounds like a golf competition. but uh, yep. <laughs> I was going to say he sounds like a 1950s Labor Party politician. <laughs> and... And Jonathan Ross, at the age of 54, is still running around for us. and uh, But he isn't doing much, understandably, because he's 54. But mm. at least he's still giving it a go, and well done to him. Excellent. And just on the subject of Butcher, who we refused to talk about five minutes ago, he's had just the two touches so far. The Butch! It's all right. He's working his way into the AFL side. Leave him alone. Yeah, well, it's got to be some pretty much up. I thought we're leading by uh, 53 to 36, so bit of catch-up work for the Maggies to do. Do we really think that's a bad result, given that, um, I guess it's Chad Corn's first game as new coach and a uh, bit of a shake-up for the side? Are we concerned about that result so far? Do we think that's pretty good? I looked at the team and thought it was pretty thin in yeah. terms of um, experience and talent, so I would think uh, Nord should be winning this game. Hmm. Given their their stocks and of ex AFL players, so I think uh, I think they should be winning this one. All right, well, well do a final wrap for the side. Uh, do a quick around the grounds. Is there any other before we do the final wrap? Do any other games this round that you're interested in at all? As far as the AFL games, there's probably a few. I think it's um, it's actually a pretty good looking round one. I think um, almost every game could go either way. I think Carlton are winning at the moment, which is uh, pretty exciting because I've predicted them to win about two games for the year. So if it's uh, it's going to be against Richmond in round one, where they've already had the uh, uh, the disablement of the horses, which they were meant to do, but uh, that got pulled this morning or something as well. So that's just going to be an absolute disaster for the Tigers. Yeah, what was that all about? Like, what was the theme with the horses? What, why was that even happening? 
I have no idea. I think because uh, it's all to do with their sponsor. I think um, mm. their current advert has the horses as the theme of their advert, so it was kind of linking in with that. But what um, a bunch of horses have to do with Richmond, I have no idea. I think the games that uh, that interest me, I think North versus Adelaide and Sydney versus mm. Collingwood would be my two picks for the round. I think Bulldogs and Frio should be pretty interesting. Melbourne and GWS could go either way. And, you know, it's quite possible that Essendon might stun Gold Coast. You never know. Yeah, I've got to say, I kind of feel like the North Melbourne versus Adelaide game is... It, I think either way, it's going to tell us a lot about both of those sides, how it goes um, and how their seasons are going to roll out. I think it's really defining probably for both teams, even if they don't necessarily realise it. Because I think that if Adelaide starts off with an away win, I mean, that's pretty good for them and... North Melbourne, I mean, they're old enough now that everyone's just waiting for them to fall over, like a you know an old an old elephant. Um, pretty much, they should be walking back to the graveyard yeah. about now. Um, no, that's right. Yeah, I'd totally say that's the the best one. I mean, I think Geelong Hawthorne is probably the one that'll get all the coverage for Victorians, but um, yeah, I still think North Melbourne Adelaide is probably going to be the most interesting spectacle. I think I Melbourne, Melbourne GWS. Yeah, I'll be I, I think Melbourne GWS is going to be a. a, a an important game for the lower recesses of the eight. Um, but you've got to remember, like, both of them are already very much outside the eight. Like, they haven't got any recent form of being in it. So it's it's much more speculative than, say, North Melbourne versus Adelaide is. But, um, yeah, I think that'll be an interesting match to see how that goes. Um, I, think you'd have I, think pretty, I think you'd have to favour Melbourne for that one, for sure, which sounds weird, but, yeah, I think you would. Well, look, David argument. King called uh, GWS a premiership contender. Oh, during the weeks, but then he what? He probably wouldn't label us anything, would he? We wouldn't even be eligible for finals. No, I think he had us outside the eight. I think. So. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. All, oh, all credibility's gone. I think that because um, I just read through the AFL website, they put up there all their staff's predictions, and I think only about two people out of twenty said that Port was going to make the finals uh, for sure. Well, that's, it, but that's yeah. awesome for us fans if we like to bet. Because yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's it's you know especially against like your Collingwoods and your your Hawthorns and all those sort of teams, and you're playing them away and you just don't get rated, so it's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, I just want to go back to Melbourne GWS. I think for me, it's a really interesting game to see where both teams are at because Melbourne historically always seems to bully these interstate sides, including us away. That's why. I guess to get my timelines right, 2013 was such an exciting game for us round one when we smashed them because it never bloody happened. So, um, you know, if Melbourne dominates GWS, you know, away, well, you know, that could be, uh, you know, a sign of maybe Melbourne's on the up. But if GWS holds their own and, and does well against Melbourne, well, it might reflect that they're in for, a, you know, an improved season. And I... I was talking about us playing Melbourne at the MCG away, not Melbourne beating us here in Adelaide. In Adelaide. Yeah. Because that never really that never really happens. But yeah, it's been a us even in good form when we go to Melbourne and play Melbourne, we've always been Scheisenhausen. Yeah, well, I think that Melbourne's got a, a different hoodoo that sort of has to be taken into account, which is that Melbourne's win in round one last year, I think it was against Gold Coast, was their first round one win for something like ten years. Um, so I guess you could say they've been traditionally slow starters. Um, so that could be mm. coming back, or maybe they've actually corrected that now. Mm. It's possible. I, I just find it staggering that anyone would think GWS is a premiership contender this year. Mm. I think they've obviously got an incredible squad. I still think it's maybe a couple of years away from doing anything. But, you know, they've just lost their best midfielder. Their second best key forward probably isn't going to play for them ever again. Um I just don't see where their improvement's going to come from this particular season, I don't think. But I don't know. You never know. I mean, you look at their side, you look at their forward line at the moment, and it's Adam Tomlinson and Rory Lobb. I mean, that's just mm. there's just not much there at the moment. And if Jeremy Cameron doesn't play, I mean, John Patton, you know, just always seems to be sort of one week away from doing a knee, which is, uh, which is sad to say, but... Um, I don't know, it's, it's almost like if J- Jeremy Cameron doesn't play and doesn't perform, then I just don't really see them winning. Yeah, I think that's probably when it comes to sides that have not played finals or more to the point been out of finals for like three or four more year or more years, I kind of think that it's really 
it doesn't really happen that a team comes from having had a longer period outside of the eight and then finishes top four. Like that doesn't really happen. Teams that do surprise and finish top four, they've usually been a lulling team where they've made the eight, dropped down, and then suddenly spurred it back up. Um, I don't think it really happens all that much that a team can be like you know twelfth, 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 and twelfth, and then suddenly be third. Although of course I think the Crows are the only exception I can think of to that as a rule. Um, with their gap between ninety three and what ninety seven. Can I just do a shout-out to Dylan Ake that once again is uh, tuning into our show. What a what a loyal listener and legend he is, and he actually is one person that appreciates my humour and joke. So well done, Dylan. Oh, you found one. Oh, well done. Good work. That's good. Hey. Hey. It's not funny at all. All right. So um, I think we'll just move on, just do the final wrap for the game um, and go through a couple of little quick ones. So um, who do you think is going to win, guys? Port by 55 points and Dix is going to kick seven goals. Nice. like that. I like that. For me, I think we're going to be too strong in the middle. I think we've got uh, very much the edge up forward. I can't see their forward line doing much against our defence. So for me, I think we're going to win by 56 points. So 55 and 56, that's pretty good. Um, I, I guess you pretty much agreed then. Uh, look, I think that, um, I don't know, I kind of feel like the, that last quarter, depending on where we are in the match, I think that'll either be a blowout or nothing will happen. I'm probably leaning more towards us potentially blowing it out. I reckon we'd probably end up around that, uh, I'm going to say about 40 points win, I think, just to really break away after about half time, I'd say. And I'd say our highest goal kicker have to be Chad Wingard, just because I think he's got all the answers to how they play. Um, all right. And do you think there's any particular uh, S and Kilda players that we should be worried about apart from the obvious ones? Any spuds that might tear us apart, perhaps? The spud who might tear us apart for me, it's got to be Tom Hickey. I think him. Maybe not a spud in a traditional sense, um, no. as I think he's pretty talented. But um, as I said, I think uh, I think Loby should have uh, or should be able to get the points against him. But um, you just never know. With mm. uh, with Lobes and and Tom Hickey could be a player that uh, that might be able to sneak forward and kick a couple of goals uh, against him and maybe a shout out to first game of Jake Gresham uh, who might yeah. probably come on and kick a couple of goals as well. Yeah, good call on that one. How about you, Rick? Any difference to that? Oh no, is Armitage a spot? No, 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 no. He no. almost made all Australian last year, so yeah. probably not. He looks like a bit of a spot. Is that good enough? <laughs> He's, he's got a very large head for his body. That's what I mean. So I'm going with him just because he looks like a potato. There you go. Fair enough. He's, yeah. my, he's my spud that could tear us apart. Yeah, I actually agree with Macron Hickey. I think that I reckon it's going to be nil all, but I mean, I don't know. If Lovey just keeps going downhill, then that could be a really big change that could really tear us up. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Or if something happened in injury or whatever else. God, I don't want to say that. I'm touching wood. It's all good. I can say it. Um, that, that, I think that's really the, the maximum possible exposure for us. Um, There'll be right. no injuries. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, and I just wanted to add a, a little segment, which is that I want to challenge you guys to come up with the most certain prediction for the match that you're happy to say that has just a little bit of risk. So I'm calling this the bet the house. So, for example, if you reckon you're like 99% certain something's going to happen, just try and push it and see what you reckon is the most likely big call, not really a big call you can make. I've got I'm 99% certain that Matt Loby is not going to take a mark. Ooh, ooh, good one. I am 99% certainly sure umpire Matthew Nichols will ream us up the butthole for three quarters like he always does. All right, well, here's mine. My bet the house is on Chad Wingard kicking four goals. I think that's absolutely certain. He'll kick four or more goals for sure. I don't think there's any way he'll kick less. I like that. Hmm. Everyone that listens to the podcast or is listening in live, let us know who you thinks the most plausible of occurring. All right, I'm going with the nickels. I'm going with Macca's one mark for lobby, actually. <laughs> <laughs> No, I said no. I said no mark. said no mark. No, sorry, no mark. Yeah. Okay, oh, he might get one. I don't know. No, nah. I reckon. Oh, it's, I reckon it's, it's a good it's... chance. I reckon you get good odds on that one. 
I reckon, what, I reckon you're awesome. If he takes a mark, you'll be able to tell where I am because I'm the one going, no, <laughs> when everyone else is clapping that he took a mark at the game. So you'll be able to point me out pretty quick. You're not worried you'll get like a junk time mark in you know the last five minutes or something? I will storm out. I will throw my football record on the ground, step on it and storm out the ground if that happens. All right. Well, look, um, we're just a little bit over the hour, I think. So um, if you guys, um, if you guys can see anything else you want to say before we close up, I think it might be time to almost say goodbye. Butcher! 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 Butch! Can't wait for round three. Butcher time. Absolutely. All right. Well, in that yeah. case, I'm going to call a close to the um, podcast for tonight. Thank you for listening, listeners, and people downloading the podcast and listening. And thank you, Macca and Rick, for coming on. No Absolute gosh. pleasure. And don't yes. forget to listen to all the other Port Fan Radio shows as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure you know the Game Day podcast uh, will be out in the next couple of days. Um, and the Magpies uh, Onward to Victory podcast is doing great things. So. And, 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 you got the Port Adelaide Pair coming back on Monday. That's exciting. I think it's Monday, it is Easter, so I'm assuming it's Monday, if not Tuesday. And we've got Big Al and his team back with a revamped show called the Alberton Bar, or Front Bar, and they're going to do that on uh, Tuesday night. So um, they're going to do a bit of an AFL bar talk orientated program, so... Tune in for that one as well. So we're getting some good shows back for 2016. <laughs> all right. Thanks all right. for everyone that tunes in. I think we're all Can't done. Appear. Thank you all. Come yeah. forward. Happy Easter. He's got to keep his feet corns just worried him out of it. Slips a handball to Treadray. Back turn. Well done. Little give. This might be it. Corns, Treadray, Pierce. 